Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to Big Picture in Practice from Morningstar. I'm Julie. And I'm Matt. Every day, you're tasked with growing your business while delivering the personal advice that sets you apart. We'll break down the latest trends with Morningstar experts and industry professionals to help you thrive amidst evolving investor expectations. As head of Morningstar's advisor solutions, my job is to keep a keen eye on trends impacting the delivery of advice and bring that intel back to the lab to help our product teams design and deliver innovative solutions. And I lead our enterprise sales teams who bring these solutions to our clients to empower investor success. Together, we will leverage our expertise and the reach of Morningstar to make the most relevant trends accessible. Whether you're creating portfolios, bespoke financial plans, or constructing tech stacks for financial professionals, this podcast is for you. Join us as we bring the big picture into practice. I'm Julie Willoughby. And I'm Matt. And uh, we are here with a colleague of ours, Cindy Galliano, the head of product for our investment management business, and Zach Hamilton, a financial advisor with Altera Advisors. We are here to talk about a hot topic, direct indexing. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Thank you. Let's go back to the beginning, if we could. And, and, and Cindy, I'll, I'll maybe point to you here. Parametric, obviously, one of the early entrants into the direct indexing space, you know, and they are, you know, born all the way back in 1992. So you're know, just interested in your thoughts, you know, what, what has taken so long, right, for that product set uh, to become a thing, so to speak, in the industry and, and what's really kind of driving that increased demand we're seeing these days? You're right. The capability has been around for a couple of decades, particularly, as you know, for institutional investors and high net worth clients. But it's been a hot topic over the last several years for, I would say, a couple of reasons. Perhaps the most significant change really comes in the operations and custodian space. So particularly the reduction or essentially elimination of equity trade commissions, The second advancement related to this space is really the broad use of fractional shares. So it's still being rolled out broadly, but when this trading capability, when fractional shares are available across all major custodians, that's going to be a huge dynamic change for direct indexing. The other accelerant that I'll mention here in terms of why this is picking up pace is really the technological advancements to not only optimize or construct the client's portfolio, but to really incorporate personalization. And here's the key, personalization at scale. Now, technology is making this all possible for the first time to do this at scale, at lower account minimums, because of certain advancements, as I mentioned, with the optimizer, with trading, but with also the digital experience that the intermediaries have today. One of the things that you touched upon was client demand and the expectations for financial advisors to help clients invest in a more personalized way. So, Zach, I saw from your bio that you serve clients who are focused on making a difference and who have specific interests in their own investing strategies that that you're there to help them to execute. Can you talk a little bit about the demand for personalization that you see in your role as a financial advisor? The investment kind of equity stock picking piece is a small piece of a much bigger puzzle. So, 
sometimes we'll have people that you know don't know me and see a business card that says financial advisor and they think you know you're going to tell me what stocks to buy right I say well hold on let's take a step back like what are you trying to accomplish what are you hoping that that money does because very rarely do i have people who say you know i want a little bit more small cap exposure or yeah. more you know more growth equity like they don't they might re- not need you if they knew that <laughs> right well and that's the, and that's the thing is what they do care about and and most of our clients the conversation we have is it's it's goal based it's outcome based I want to retire at X age and I want to be able to take care of my kids college. Can I do that with what you're telling me to do? Or can I not do that? That's what's important to me, right? So that's where customization, it needs to be tailored to the individual. That doesn't mean that people can't have something very similar. And and you see this more and more, as Cindy mentioned, as the technology's improved to say, you can get a little bit more granular, you can get a little bit more customized to what this person actually needs, and they can feel heard in that, right? So I, I think of we work in, we're in Seattle. We work with a lot of clients who work in big tech, right? So Amazon and employees are, you could throw a rock and don't do it, but you'd hit, you'd hit an Amazon employee, <laughs> right? But you'd say most of the Amazon employees are a huge part of their compensation comes in Amazon stock. So for their S&P 500 index fund that holds so much of Amazon, like that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Strategically, it makes sense to say, well, let's, let's not have that here in your portfolio, in your plan. Let's have that in your compensation package, right? So to be able to just even that little granular customization says, I, I'm listening to you, I hear you, and I know that this is customized to you. You know, in that Amazon example, that's not a huge part of the overall portfolio and plan, but it is, I can do this small customization to you that you couldn't really get from Vanguard or from right what, whatever is out there. Yeah, Starting with the outcome, which could be diversification, for example, mm-hmm. and then working back backward from there. Absolutely. I have yet to meet someone who says, let's take more risk than we need to, to get to where we want to go, right? So that diversification is huge. But what does that mean? I would argue that most of the time it's, they don't know where to start. They just know that they don't want to take more risk than they need to, to get, to get there. Are there certain interests that your clients have come to you with that have emerged more recently? Has, has anything changed in the last like five years, as far as what you're hearing from clients when it comes to personalization or outcomes? So we definitely are hearing more of the the question of can I exclude whatever sector, mm-hmm. whatever industry, unless there's a really good why. We're not we don't want to just say, hey, I I read an article on the you know New York Times said that energy is X or Y, whatever. That's not a really good effective way. That's we're looking in rearview mirrors to do our planning, right? That's so we try not to do that. But if someone says, hey, I want this piece of my plan, I want less tech. You could tr- custom try to build it with finding, you know, the 11 other sectors, it's it's much easier to do with a platform like a direct indexing plan. And Cindy, you know, you mentioned a lot of focus on the technology side, which is obviously critically important to that scale. To some of Zach's points around elements of customization, diversification, from an investment perspective, you know, whether it's the indexes that have been created or the you know, the portfolios that that are offered. What have you seen in terms of evolution on that side of the direct indexing equation here that's, again, fueling that demand? The ability to, as Zach mentioned, go to the granular level has been instrumental here. So not only in terms of the sector or industry or stock, the ability to either replace or remove certain exposures, perhaps to reduce that, say, equity risk that you have in your job. But it's also at the tax level, actually. And so this is where you see a lot of direct index portfolios use cases be in taxable accounts. 
So what that means is that you have the ability at the individual security level or stock level to be able to be more effective with your tax management. Uh, so I think this is where advisors add a lot of value to begin with in terms of asset allocation and asset location, but really being more nimble and more granular to effectively manage taxes more than you could perhaps in mutual funds or ETFs even. It's actually a great thread and, and, and want to, you know, tug at it just a little bit, right? So, you know, when ETFs came about way back when, you know, that was the death knell for all mutual funds. And so here we are, maybe 2.0, you know, do you see direct indexing as, you know, complementing those mutual fund or ETF strategies? Do you see it as a complete disruption and, and uh, replacement of, or kind of how does it fit into that overall mix? I believe it's both, meaning it's complementary as well as a potential substitution or replacement. But first of all, let me just say that we believe that there is plenty of room for mutual funds, ETFs, model portfolios, and separate accounts, which I would consider direct indexing to be part of separately managed account type of arena. And these can all live in harmony Typically, the direct indexing portfolio would be a U.S. broad market-based stock portfolio. And as a result of that, this is where it could complement or pair nicely with other uh, investment options to fulfill certain asset class exposures, such as fixed income or alternative investments. Now, where I see it replacing mutual funds or ETFs, it's, it's important, one, to talk about the differences the differences can really be mainly grouped by ownership in terms of who owns those underlying securities. And because direct index portfolios are held in a managed account, that means you're buying the underlying securities of that index rather than buying or owning shares of that wrapper, that mutual fund or ETF. And so as a result of owning those underlying securities, this means you're able to create a unique and individualized positions or exposures to meet your client's needs. I mentioned the tax lots as well to be able to tie those tax lots to the when you purchase a stock and when they occur instead of just that one time you buy the mutual fund. Uh, so you can really be in more control and really be more nimble around that tax management, as I mentioned before. And then finally, in terms of the other areas of personalization, because you can get down to that individual security level, there might be important considerations that enable you as an advisor to talk about with your investor, such as values, such as ESG or sustainable investing considerations. There are people who would say, oh, well, you know, mutual funds got replaced by ETFs and ETFs are going to be replaced by direct indexing. I don't think it's that simple. We talk about financial tools with, with clients, right? Any, everything is a financial tool and there are effective ways to use tools and there are ineffective ways to use tools, right? I think, Cindy, you're, you're spot on for that person who wants that customization, I think specifically of a, of a charitable minded client, right? Example is I own the S&P 500 index fund. I own a piece of one thing, not 500 companies, right? Versus if I own the direct index and I can own one of those stocks did incredibly well this year. And one of those stocks did incredibly poorly this year. I can actually say, I want to give away the biggest winner and I want to sell the biggest loser in that same portfolio. I could have the exact same investment return but get a way better net tax impact for my plan. It's no, we're going to do what 
the market does, we're just going to do it more efficiently. We're not fighting against this, this huge headwind of tax in the same way as somebody else might. Cindy, I think you mentioned earlier, that could only happen if you had $10 million, $20 million. And yeah. now it's not everyone has that. And how do you think, Zach, about which tools to use with which clients? So what would your decision criteria be or your discovery process with your clients to determine when that might be appropriate? You mentioned charitable as one area of consideration. How else might you do that? Yeah, charitable is definitely the the first one that comes to mind. It's a really, really easy one. Second would be just high tax, taxable Mm -hmm. income, high tax bracket, right? If someone's, I think of clients that come to us and they have huge capital gains taxes on their tax returns from previous years before we worked with them and saying that's a that's a yellow flag at the very least right to say is there opportunity are you selling things aggressively because you have to or is it just your portfolio turnover right um, again that's a headwind that's an that's an optional headwind and that's where direct indexing can come in and say how much of that headwind do we want to have yeah what are you what's your outcome that you're trying to accomplish back to your your thought at the beginning Exactly. And, and there's, that is a pretty common sentiment that you'll hear out is like, well, I can just go buy the index and I will, I'll beat, you know, whatever the advisor is going to do and say, well, what if we can be the index and do it more efficiently? You know, if you look at some of the data on tax alpha with indexing, right, direct indexing can be, I don't know, Cindy, you probably know it better than somewhere between one and 4% that can be a tax alpha. That's excluding the charitable planning, which is compounds that exponentially. So you can be talking yeah. about a multiple of that, of improvement in the plan, just by being a little bit more granular. You've both dug a bit deep on tax management, which of course, as you mentioned, the alpha aspect is certainly attractive. Definitely can add complexity into the overall process as well, though, right? Whether it's deciding who participates in direct indexing based on that tax scenario, or just how do you engage and communicate over time what that alpha is and the persistency of it. And so, Interested in your thoughts there, right? You know, in terms of balancing out, right, the benefit of that tax management with the complexity it might bring into the overall interaction. How how are you thinking about that in the service itself? So first of all, I'm not a tax expert, nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> Disclosure. <laughs> Disclosure. I love it. So yes. for me as a product leader, as somebody who's building solutions for advisors and investors, I'm looking to make advisors and investors' lives easier. And direct indexing has tax efficiency at its core. We talk a lot about employing techniques such as automated tax loss harvesting and offering tax efficient transitions, as Zach had mentioned, to really improve those after tax returns or those net tax returns. I'm not saying that these tax strategies and tools are necessarily unique to direct indexing, but direct indexing demand has accelerated the technology to be more automated. And so this can include, as I mentioned, tax loss harvesting without triggering wash sales, uh, which is the ability to harvest the losses on the individual stocks to reduce your tax liability. And you can set the criteria for that, which tax lots to sell first, short-term versus long-term considerations, et cetera. And then the second tax, the big tax uh, 
area for direct indexing has to do, as what Zach had mentioned too, these tax-efficient transitions of existing holdings that your client might have to a new account over time or to their ideal portfolio over time. So if there are certain strong needs that they have to personalize their portfolio but have a lot of capital gains, it's really important to help illustrate and have your investor client understand what your options are to move closer to your ideal portfolio. And so even though there's complexity around taxes and people don't like talking about taxes, the value add in terms of taking that off their plate and more importantly, being transparent about that and showing them what you can do, I think is is incredibly powerful. And people like talking about reduced taxes. So that's good. (laughs) Paying less. I'll give you a real world example of that, Cindy, is we're onboarding a client right now that they'd gone to another advisor to specifically talk about the investment side. And the advisor said, basically, just sell what you have and move to our plan. And when there's more than a million dollars of embedded gains in that and saying, is that because it's the right Mm. thing for the client? Or is that because that's just easy for the advisor that wants the assets under management? And I don't know for sure, I won't ascribe negative motive, but I think it's safe to assume that that was not client focused. That was, yeah, that's not in their best interest. And say, if that makes sense, let's talk through all of the whys before you do. But more than likely, as Cindy said, it's going to be a transition and it's going to be, maybe there are some taxes to realize that you, you do have to, but that's not always the right answer. And and that usually is a pretty good indicator of, is the advisor on the same side of the table with the client? You mentioned that million dollars of embedded gains, right? And this need for sophisticated transition. We've seen very recently uh, announcements around services going you know, way down the scale, right? To very low balances. And so interested in how you feel about that very low entry point. I think we saw one as low as a dollar, right? How does that fit into your perspectives and views on appropriateness and typical or, or likely client to have a good result? All other things equal, more options are better than less. Having that flexibility is always a benefit. Generally speaking, bluntly, like most of our clients, $5,000 accounts or $10,000 accounts is not a common thing. However, perfect example would be a a Roth IRA, backdoor Roth IRA or Roth IRA that someone's just trying to get started. And they say, I've got $6,000 that I can put into that this year. And that's the most I'm allowed to. Well, if you don't have options for that, you're doing a huge disservice to your, especially your high net worth client that has that option to say that's a tax planning opportunity that you need to be aware of. If there's no options, right, let's get you some a little bit of customization if you want it. As the account gets bigger, maybe we can get more customized, more granular. That's something that direct indexing takes away is the need for the account to grow to a specific level to be able to get that customization. I think that's hugely valuable. I have mixed feelings about this, and I think I'll continue to have mixed feelings. I'll admit feelings I do as well, Sydney. So. <laughs> until, <laughs> until I see more data on who and how investors are using direct indexing at these low account minimums. So, Zach, I know you mentioned some really good, realistic use cases, and I do agree sometimes this makes sense, especially for that rollover example. Uh, and I do appreciate the democratization of what I would consider a powerful investment solution that offers a lot of benefits, but at what cost? And I'm not talking about the fees necessarily, just the fees that are associated with the investment strategy, but 
about the experience of the investor as well. So do they have a good understanding that they'll see potentially hundreds or thousands of securities at partial shares in their account? How important is tax management at a smaller dollar value or getting your portfolio to that precise exposures you want versus other priorities you might have at this given point in time in your investing life cycle or life stage? So we talked a lot about like removing friction from the process and the operational improvements that have allowed this to happen today. What do you think are the biggest challenges to doing this well? I mean, I think you want to make sure that it's as much as possible as automation will allow, it's automatable. And I think that's why the yeah. the numbers have come down. And you want to make sure that that's done right. Because automation done wrong can be really, really dangerous. And checking the box for first in, first out versus last in, first out can make a huge difference in knowing what that means. And you can't fully remove the human element, but you got to make sure that the technology element is dialed. And that's where you want to make sure that it's, yeah, the, the organization that is doing that is has experience doing that and is dialed. Picking up on that human side, right? So we've talked about the need to understand tax budgets, the need to understand preferences potentially for values and impact. We've talked about goals and objectives and aligning the portfolio there. And technology, of course, as you mentioned, is, is critical to this. I'm interested in a grade, right, A through F, in terms of the connectivity. There's the direct indexing process, right, that's contained in that portfolio management piece of the, the workflow. And then there's connectivity into financial planning, client and investor profiling, how do you both feel about where we are today and where you kind of see, you know, peeking over the edge? Yeah, I think from my perspective, we're in the early innings here. We see a lot of great technology, a lot of great potential out there, but it's all disparate right now. There are some organizations that have been offering this for quite a while, uh, but perhaps are very um, focused or very heavily lean on the uh, human uh, efforts involved in, in managing these number of accounts. And so really upgrading and accelerating their technology advancements is probably their focus now. On the flip side, uh, perhaps there are some technology solutions that are very tech-centric that don't include or incorporate or acknowledge the, the user centricity that's important. And so really making sure there's a nice balance between when an advisor or investor has to engage and when they don't. We're in early stages or early innings of, of this ballgame here. Yeah, Zach, has it changed the way you profile clients, right, with this new tool, as you described, which I love, in, in the mix? It's not always so easy to just say, oh, here's the perfect path. We've got it figured out. It's Sometimes it's a little bit more, it's more phased, it's more complex. We can phase this over years and say, well, what's our trade-off? Our trade-off is more taxes earlier to get as close as possible to the index or less taxes and phase in longer and be a little bit further from the index. They're, they're comfortable with this level of tax bill for this year. So we're going to make sure that they don't get disappointed because we're, we're all about managing expectations. My, my parents have been pre-marriage counselors for 35 years and they talk about the definition of frustration is unmet expectations. Wow. Pre-marriage. That's really brilliant. Yeah, we could do a whole separate, <laughs> separate podcast on that. But they've done yeah marriage counseling for about 500 couples before you get married. And so, but we talk about the expectations. expectations. Yeah, it's all it is, is fr frustration comes from I expected X and I got Y. And we want never for a client to have that experience. They say, this is what we expected and this is what we provided. And it's X or better, right? Under promise over deliver, right? The more granular that we can get, the more 
confident we can be that we're going to end up where we told them they would end up. If you think about uh, the things that are critical to to get right as far as product features to meet market demand, what are some things that that come to mind for you? So I like to think of technology as the enabler that can bring all this functionality together in a very elegant and user-friendly manner. And once again, the key here is at scale because there's only so much time in the day for everybody, right? This could include technology anywhere from the uh, optimizer and the role of a robust optimizer and methodology uh, that goes along with how do you construct this portfolio and replicate this index. So being able to construct personalized portfolios at scale and manage those on an ongoing basis is critical, in my opinion. The other areas that I feel are critical are the ability to gather your clients' values, uh, your ESG considerations, Mm -hmm. other customization needs and documentation around that, and especially if that changes over time. Having that fed in as inputs, like and translating those as inputs into the optimizer and really having a logical approach to that is is really important from my standpoint too. And then the tax rebalancing, tax management, how does that work? As Zach had mentioned, there, you know, one setting can truly <laughs> negate the tax efficiency that you want to have in your account. So really making sure, understanding what is automated, what is configurable around that is important. And then finally... I think that digital experience can really help improve the interaction between the advisor investor and more importantly, the investor and their money. So this could be timely information and transparency. It could be a visually dynamic narrative that illustrates what this portfolio can do for your investor. And that brings that loyalty to the uh, investor with their money and I think with their advisor. And that could be much more impactful than, say, a PDF report at a quarterly uh, meeting. So I think the transparency is important with that, but it's also the narrative that you piece together. So I I think of the the marketing piece that I get solicitations for all the time, whether it's social media or online that say like, well, this used to be something that was only available to ultra high net worth people. And now it's available to you at this more reasonable, modest level. I think there's something attractive to most Americans that they're yeah. like, okay, why do the ultra high net worth use this? Why do they, and, why and can't that's I the, get it? Yeah. Why can't I get it? And, and the reality was, as Cindy pointed out, like the technology wasn't there to get it for some where if you had to have the person that was watching it and doing that for 40 hours a week, not everybody could afford to do that. Right. And I think that's that's true. Generally speaking, customization used to be really expensive in many areas. And now we have access to things that are personalized just in other areas outside of financial services that used to not be available to the masses. And so there is something to that, I think, even outside of, of our industry, which makes it desirable for certain investors. So with that, a a big thanks, Uh, Cindy, Zach, excellent points of view, some great context and really tangibility to right complex topic, product service like direct indexing. So very much appreciate the the thoughts here today. I think we're in an interesting time for direct indexing and it's going to get more interesting. And I think this is one way to sort of meet that demand that, that you both touched upon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. 
If you like what you heard today, please share today's episode with a friend and we look forward to meeting you again next week. Please note that Zach Hamilton and Altera Advisors are not affiliated with Morningstar Inc. or any of its subsidiaries. The tax information provided is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax or financial planning advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of this recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of the guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Investment Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor and subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. The Morningstar name and logo are registered marks of Morningstar, Inc. Opinions expressed are as of the date indicated. Such opinions are subject to change without notice. Morningstar Investment Management and its affiliates shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data, analyses, or opinions, or their use. This commentary is for informational purposes only. The information data, analyses, and opinions presented herein do not constitute investment advice, are provided solely for informational purposes, and therefore are not an offer to buy or sell securities. Before making any investment decision, please consider consulting a financial or tax professional regarding your unique situation.